Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm the lucky lady who gets to come in every week and sit down with some wonderful women in the Philadelphia area and across the country as well who are doing some great things. And today I'm thrilled to have with me in the studio Katie Connolly. And Katie is the president of Best Principles Solutions. She is a leadership coach. She is a speaker and an author. Welcome to the studio. Thank you so much, Sue. Good morning to you. I'm I'm very grateful for you for coming in a little bit last minute. This was not planned in advance, but I'm thrilled to have you and learn all about the work that you're doing. Um, As we always do on my show, we kind of go back to the beginning and Mm -hmm. um, start with your background, where you grew up and your family. Um, And I'd love to hear about your your growing up years with your big Irish family of 11 children. (laughs) What was that like? Well, um, it actually preceded our family. My grandmother was the sixth of 10. Um, so we, we grew up outside of New York, um, about 45 miles outside of New York. It's called upstate New York, but mm-hmm. it really wasn't, in Orange County. And um, we always had lots of people around us, lots of family around us. And um, when my father decided, after there were five of us, that he wanted to go back to school, he was a pharmacist. And actually, he'd been trying to get into medical school for many years and was not accepted because he was Irish. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So finally, um, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, and he preferred being an osteopath because of the homeopathic principles behind it. Um, So he came down here to Philadelphia. We stayed in New York. We were in Monroe, New York. And um, for five years, he commuted. They had three children while he commuted. Um, He took a year off to be with his mother. At the age of 40, he graduated. By that time... There were six, seven girls and one lone boy. <clears throat> Lucky number seven was John. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming he was quite spoiled by the seven older sisters. Uh, actually not. No, no? We, oh. we had no idea what to do with this creature. <laughs> so, um, yeah, poor John did get picked up and thrown into a lot of walls when he was younger. <laughs> <laughs> because we had no tolerance. It was like, who is this child? And why is he behaving so poorly? <laughs> and why is he behaving so poorly? I mean, he'd stand at the back door screaming, Mom, Mom, only Mom could come. Well, Mom wasn't around. You need to get in here. Like, you're going to pee your pants. You need to get in the house now because we'd have to take care of whatever else was going on. Right. Um, so, and then um, they chose, my mom was from the Bronx. She was a dancer on Broadway. And um, my and my father was from up the country, so they chose the Lehigh Valley to raise us. So we moved to Lehigh Valley. I was ten and a half. My father was an intern um, at the hospital, at the osteopathic hospital there, and um, in in Ballard. 
In Allentown. Okay. In there's, Allentown. Okay. Yeah. He, there's one here in Ballacan. Well, in Ballow, the uh, PCOM wasn't here then. The the uh, campus was downtown, uh, around where the university center is, or whatever mm-hmm. they call that, like around um, 18th Street, Lombard, down around that area. Okay. Is where the college was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, they had three more children. Um, after he graduated, he bought a practice from an old Pennsylvania Dutch German doctor. So um, we worked in his office, which was the dining room in our home at the time. Um, it became the dining room. Um, so the, you know, up to 10 of us at the time until later were squished into the kitchen. Um, but we became leaders very early on. I had a team of children I was responsible for. My father was from a farm area. Um, and so everybody worked. And you had, I think, children to help you do the work of the farm. I'm not sure if that's what their premise was. They're very strict Roman Catholic, and there was a lot of birth control issues as well. My father says he and my mother did it 12 times, and they got lucky 11. (laughs) 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 That there just wasn't privacy enough for them. But anyway... But um, we should mention, you were the second oldest. I am the second oldest. Second oldest. So you're at the top of the tier, and I'm sure there was a lot of responsibility placed on you. Oh, sure. And I'm the tallest of the girls. They're all five foot. I don't know where I came from. But anyway, um, because I'm not five foot, um, I was 25 till somebody got a bit taller than me, and that was my brother. Okay. Uh, and he's nine years younger than me. Okay. Um, and but, was your mom working at the time? My mother While worked you were growing up? throughout. Yeah, she did a lot of bookkeeping, mm-hmm. um, and she she her graduate her she. My mother was brilliant. She graduated with a, a double major in physics and math by the time she was nineteen, from New Rochelle College. Wow. Um, and so she always did bookkeeping to keep up. She was a teacher at first. That's what her degree was in, um, or that's what she chose with her physics and her math. Um, so she. Um, would teach us on the way to Catholic school. The Catholic school was seven miles away. And so she'd teach us Greek and she'd teach us Italian and she'd teach us Spanish and she'd teach us other things while we were driving back and forth. But she always worked part-time at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we also worked in my father's pharmacy during the times when um, she was in the hospital pregnant or we got shipped off to different aunts and uncles, you know, which was frequently. Um, <laughs> but it was it was a loving, growing, nurturing family. Hard work, ethics, understanding what the right thing is, lots of conversation about what's going on. Um, so it was it was a, it was a beautiful, beautiful upbringing. And um, I now have 24 nephews and nieces um, without the spouses. I have 21 grands. Um, So we get together every other year for a large family gathering, and we have a lot of fun. And we play games like uh, who's got a dog that names begin with a B so that the children have to run around and get the autograph of whoever that person is. That's a good car game. (laughs) <laughs> it's a great card game, you know, instead For of long videos. trips with lots of kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we used to sing a lot and we played all the, you know, you know, bird games, name birds, name trees, mm-hmm. name all those kinds of things. And kids say, don't do that. Well, you had, I mean, your parents had to keep everybody occupied. That's a lot of noise. <laughs> you know, it's not like two kids, you can hand them the iPod and they, they plug in, right? Yeah. Uh, or that wasn't even around then. No. So my husband's one of seven. So... 
it's not 11, but it's very similar, the, the stories listening to you about, you know, giving kids jobs and things to do. And everybody has to chip in when you have a family that size. We did. You yeah. know, the team of three that I had, and there was always like, then there was four or whatever. We had to make sure they had their homework done, their uniforms ready for the next day. We had a daily chore and a weekly chore. So there was a chore pertaining to dinner. And then there was also a chore for the laundry or something else, the daily chore. And then the weekly chore was cleaning the bathroom or um, taking the trash out, um, something along that line. Uh, Crushing the cans, because when we moved to Pennsylvania, you paid by the uh, size of the trash bag. Um, And so early on in Allentown, they had a recycling. Um, you, You put all the aluminum in one particular package and you paid... 10 cents for that, and you paid 15 cents for the newspapers to be removed. Hmm. Um, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's interesting. It's it's interesting. Yeah. And then with the Pennsylvania German influence, um, we my father would accept, um, or it was given, uh, bushels of cabbage and chickens and potatoes and tomatoes, and so we canned and jammed and did all that kind of fun stuff as yeah. well. Wow. I, I'm sure that that had a big um, effect on the things that you're doing now. Again, it's just kind of taking initiative and, um, you know, learning how to work at a young age um, is really valuable. So as you you went through school mm-hmm. and um, you, where did you go to high school? I went to high school at a private girls school in Bethlehem that's no longer in existence. My okay. father didn't want us with around boys um, he made all these superficial rules up. Girls weren't allowed to play bowling until you were 12. Girls weren't allowed to play <laughs> golf until you were 12. Girls were not allowed in the pool halls. Um, so by the time I was 12, forget it. I had no interest in doing any of that. I was responsible for kids right. <laughs> and schoolwork and then just other things. I was a Girl Scout, you know, I was involved in the church group, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So. I had no time for that. My third sister, the one right after me, um, actually she was the first one who learned to golf when she was 25, Um, but she did shoot. We went to summer camp. Uh, My father was the physician for a summer camp, and so uh, we were counselors at the camp, Mm -hmm. and we could take advantage of the programs there while the youngers went. Right. Um, And so she learned to shoot, but other than that, we didn't. I think one of my other sisters to de- to this day knows how to golf. The rest of us just never picked it up. Yeah, well, that's a that's a big group. I'm sure there's a vast <laughs> array of you know hobbies and interests. And um, so, did you go to college? I did. And where did you yeah. graduate? So from? I was the first one to go um, th- that finished. Uh, my si- my older sister went, but she she dropped out several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to St. Francis of Loretto. It's now a university. It's in. Up, it's in western Pennsylvania in like left west outsville. There's nothing going on. <laughs> <laughs> but the day that we went to look at it, it reminded me so much of growing up in New York because of the snow right. um, and being in the mountains. And they had a strong behavioral science program. And that's what I went into school okay. for. Okay. So I graduated with behavioral science with a double major in um, social work and anthropology. Okay. So you're curious about people. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I can see that, you know, in reading your profile and your bio that you, you must have always had just an interest in people and 
why they do the things they do and, mm-hmm. you know, how their minds work. Um, you, you mentioned that you spent some years in, I guess, L.A. as a PA, a production assistant, and, and it was some wild times for you. Well, it was actually, it wasn't a long time. It was a short period of time. Okay. Um, uh, in, we, when I got out of school, um, I had performed through school. Um, we we always sang. My father drug us around to hospitals and nursing homes, and my mother made us all dress up. She sewed all our dresses. I think they had aspirations we were going to be the King Sisters or somebody. I have no idea. The Von Trapp family. <laughs> Von Trapp family. <laughs> um, but we always sang. Uh, so um, I sang through school. I picked up guitar, and I sang through college. And then uh, when I came back to the Valley, um, was interested in... Um, working with a group that wanted to bring a public radio station to the Lehigh Valley. Mm-hmm. That was for songwriters. So and what year was that? That was uh, in 77. Okay. And so uh, being a founding member of that group, we applied for grants um, and we learned the importance of board governance. And representing Pennsylvania, I went to L.A. to start a national songwriters group. So every state that had a songwriters group, we coalesced there and um, I met a lot of really famous people. And, you know, at 21 and 22, with braids, you know, you walk up to Michael McDonald and you're like, <laughs> a movie star. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Lee Marvin. I mean, just, you know, Mel Torme. I mean, fabulous people. And I was such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but it was wonderful. And they took an interest in me and helped to just kind of show me some ropes. This is what you want to do in your community. This is how you need to become more active um, with purpose. Um, Grandma had been a church lady. Early on, I learned how to type letters, asking people for things for the church bazaar. Um, found out the importance of people's names, mm-hmm. how what they wanted to be recognized for, and how to thank them in a way that was meaningful to them. Um, so the experience in L.A. helped me to realize that. And then through Pascal, the songwriters group in, in Lehigh Valley, we produced lots of programming. Um, when communities were being revitalized, uh, Super Sundays, I know Philly had a Super Sunday. We had a Super Sunday up in the valley. Mm-hmm. We had roller derby days where you'd close the downtown off and there'd be roller skates, and we'd get the entertainment for that. We uh, were responsible for legislation for licenses for street performers and buskers. Um, and so this was all back in the early 70s, the 80s. So that community revitalization, those types of programs I was involved in very early on. So is that where you started to develop your interest in community work and, and doing, you know, things with organizations locally? Did, and that brought you back home? Um, well, that was, that. yeah, that that brought me back home. And then I started working at the Blind Association. Um, so I worked at the Blind Association in Northampton County for five years. Okay. And um, there we, um, we created a, a low vision center. Prior to that time, if you wanted any low vision activity, because most people are not completely blind or totally blind, there's a whole hierarchy of blindness as there is with deafness. Um, but low vision and how do you support individuals who have low vision to be able to see better? You had to come to Philly to do that. And, you know, with the roads in the early 80s, that was a two-hour ride. Um, and the doctors in the Lehigh Valley wanted to be able to provide more of a service, so we became familiar with what a lot of the tools and the uh, tests were 
got the doctors involved and we created a low vision center then in um, Northampton County um, for people with visual impairments. We also created uh, the first radio reading service for the print handicapped. So as the free library down here um, provides a lot of audio taping um, of books that is available, are available to anyone um, who signs up for them. Uh, you And I'm sure things have changed since then, but every, it was like on a big <coughs> final record that you would get a book um, or you'd get a, a, a religious service um, so you could keep up with different services if you weren't able to participate in whatever was in print. Um, so we create, we, I was on the board of that organization as well. And then um, I moved to Berks County, worked with Head Start, which is a program for economically disadvantaged uh, young children uh, to give them a leg up before they go to kindergarten before they get involved in the schools. Right, right. Um, and then um, worked with a bunch of different organizations. I worked with Campfire. I was the executive director there. We had a 102-acre uh, campground. Um, I helped them manage a capital campaign. I worked with Big Brothers Big Sisters for their fundraising. Um, I worked with the Foreign Exchange Program, and then I became um, president of the chamber in the Boyertown area. Okay. Merged that with the Tri-County Chamber, created a first leadership training program in that region. Um, that was a time, and this is in the early 90s by now, and we had the head of the Aryan Nation, if you can recall back that far, um, running for school board um, in an area where there were still crosses burned on lawns and the Ku Klux Klan marched through town. The um, With the advent of community TV stations, um, every community TV had to allot time for anyone who wanted to speak. And so there was a program broadcast out of Reading, Pennsylvania uh, by the Ku Klux Klan, by the Grand Master, the Grand Wizard, or whatever he was. Um, so we had um, the school, the, the, the guy running for the school board, his name was Tom, his last name escapes me at this moment. Um, and then we also had... Um, situations where people who run for office um, in your local township who have the power of the purse, these are people who are making decisions about whether you're going to allow um, a solid waste facility to move into your locale. So Delaware County came up into southeastern Berks County and declared they had eminent domain, condemned land, took it over, and it became a dump. It became a landfill for the trash from Delaware County. Um, so the one of the supervisors in that particular township had been there for 18 years, and she could not read, nor could she write. But she was making decisions that affected your tax dollars and my tax dollars, and, um, the, and the education system. She, she voted against the school district uh, coming in and taking property or building over the, the their township line because they don't need a bigger school. That school was good enough for me. So these are the I? things that you. And what was your role at this point? I was at, the president of the chamber. Of the chamber. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah. we uh, we had a lot of work to do. Oh, I bet. I bet you have a lot of stories from that time. <laughs> we're actually going to take a quick break. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to be with Katie Connolly, president of Best Principled Solutions.
It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the Mutual Fund Store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your Mutual Fund Store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. 
Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch. I'm in the studio today with Katie Connolly, and Katie is president of Best Principles Solutions, and Katie is a leadership coach. She is a speaker and an author, and um, we were talking about uh, a multiple of positions that Katie has held over the years, and and one of them uh, was as uh on the board of uh, the chamber in Berks County, mm-hmm. am I correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the president the, of the board. President, Boyertown. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Berks County Chamber will be like she wasn't on our board. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I read about in the work that you do is something I had never heard of, and uh, it's called tension management mm-hmm. and change works. Can you talk about that and tell us what that entails? Sure. So um, seven years ago, I decided that I only wanted to work with organizations that really wanted to change. Um, I'd had it (laughs) pretty much. I'd been really frustrated with some of the boards that I'd been working with. Um, And so I looked to see where I could bring the biggest benefit. So I looked at coaching and I looked at consulting and I looked to see what types of programs there were out there that provided a level and a basis, again, for human resource development which flowed from behavioral science, which was a natural progression. Mm -hmm. And through that, I found um, a program called ChangeWorks, which has a philosophy in tension management. So if you think about um, every day when you wake up, there's a certain amount of tension or energy that you have in your life. So I'm going to put my two fingers up for those of you who can't see it. And if you put your two uh, pointer fingers next to each other, completely next to each other, and you think about energy, That's where you have no energy around something. You wake up in the morning and then you go into the bathroom and you start doing your daily routine. And as you're in the bathroom, you start thinking about the list of things that you have to do for the day. And in in terms of energy, your fingers start growing further and further apart. So think about a rubber band. Okay, so now you've got a rubber band around your fingers. And at that point, when they're far enough apart, the rubber band is just doing its job. So energetically... You've got enough tension to think about doing your job. But then you start thinking a little bit more about that big list of things that you have to do. And your fingers start growing further and further apart. And your energy is going further and further apart. And sometimes you snap. Well, that's a good analogy because you're you're getting tighter, right? Exactly right. You wake up and, you know, your shoulders are down. And then as the day starts to go, everything feels a little bit tighter. So when you look at tension management, it looks at, or energy management, it looks at where are your productive levels of tension? Where are you the most productive with your energy during the course of a day? So um, another analogy that I use frequently with people is the list of things that you have to do if you think of them all as pebbles on your back. So you've got one pebble for this, you've got one pebble for that, you've got, oh, maybe that one's a little rock. So you throw that rock back up there. And then you've got the boulder, the the, the task that you've been procrastinating on. Mm-hmm. And you carry it around like a weight 
all day long until you do something about it. It could be months that you're carrying around all this extra weight. We tend to get rid of the pebbles first and ignore the boulders. Mm. So tension management and and energy management is really an understanding and there's assessment tools that we use to help each particular client give me your list of things that you want to accomplish We'll look at what is your ability? Do you have the knowledge, the skills, and the experience to perform this task? How hard is it for you, the challenge? How hard is it for you to perform this task? And then it creates a map for you to put yourself in alignment with your energy and where it should be so that you're at that space where you're two to three inches apart with your fingers and the rubber band is doing the job just exactly as it's supposed to be doing it. It's not boring. It's not you want to give this job to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. Give it to somebody else then. Well, you know, the tendency that I have with some of my clients is, well, they won't do it as good as I can. Mm, That's a big one. So there's the the control and there's the perfectionism. Right. You know, and perfectionism is a disease. If you look at the things, the the types of behaviors that you use – um, to not get tasks done. You push back, you rationalize, you avoid, um, you uh, procrastinate. Um, fear of failure comes in there with each of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but perfectionism is the only one that's a disease. It's actually classified as a disease. So it's like OCD. Um, you know, so I encourage my clients to strive for excellence, not perfection. Mm-hmm. Because that because you get consumed with that. And so learning to delegate, and it is all about control. Mm-hmm. It's all about control. Human beings are not resistant to change, contrary to popular belief, but they're resistant to something. Because if we didn't if we were resistant to change, we wouldn't be where we are today. We've all had to change in some way to get to where we are today. But we are still afraid of something. And that's loss of control. So you think about knowledge. What else do you need to know to be able to perform or to be able to do or to gain control over the situation, to gain power in some way over the situation? And not power like megalomania, but just to have a better feeling about what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So by paying attention to your attention, you can gain control. Yeah. And you can move forward in your life. And you can shed those extra weights that you carry around with yourself. So your mind is clear. You're doing the best work that you can do. Mm-hmm. And you're at peace with yourself and you love your life and you love your job and you're purposeful. That's what we're all striving for, right? That wonderful <laughs> balance. It sounds, that sounds heavenly. What types of exercises and things do you do with your clients to help them, you know, maintain that so it, it can be anything from, um, so the tool, pers- the, the, the change works tool is called the change grid. And the tool is very flexible that you can do one person or you can do a group of people. Okay. So when I'm called into a corporation because they've got nine department managers that each do their jobs very well, but they don't work together as a team. So they're all pointing fingers at each other because it's all your fault I didn't get bonus because despite the action that I took, and how it affected your business, your your business side of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in marketing and I push out a marketing piece and the people in the service department don't have enough people to handle the phones, 
then you get uh, you don't meet budget. Okay, if the people in customer, if when I push a marketing piece out, if you're in the distribution center and you don't have enough people to manage the flow, then it's your fault that I didn't get my bonus. So um, I work with uh, individuals like that and help them learn how to trust each other, to communicate with each other, um, to understand differences in personality styles. Um, some, there's lots of tools out there in human resource development, like the um, psychometric tools, Myers-Briggs, the Kiersey. Now they have strength finders. And so they'll give you a label that says that you're an introvert. Okay, so I'm an introvert and I can wear that title and I don't have to do those other things, even though that's in my job because I'm an introvert. So how do you get people beyond their labels to communicate better and work more effectively as a team? Or if someone is working in a large firm, um, uh, let's say a firm that has 5,000 people and they have a high level stress job and they don't want to be there anymore. You know, they, they, they want to make the money that they're making, but they don't want to be there at that place. Well, what does that mean? You don't want to be there at that place. Why don't you want to be there at that place? Where do you want to be? So we go through different exercises. What are the 25 elements of your job that you'll just be so happy in? Is it in the city? Is it in the country? Who will be there with you working? Um, what will you be doing every day? What will your day look like? Who will be reporting to you? Who will you be reporting to? Um, what will people be like? There's a study that came out recently, um, and it was called Jerk Alert, and it was about bad bosses. And of the 30,000 managers that were interviewed, um, and this story was presented by Inc. Magazine in um, 2012, actually. And so it said that three quarters of 30,000 managers would prefer a different boss than a raise. Mm. Uh, 65% of them would like a different boss, period. Um, the loss of productivity for working with a bad boss costs America $360 billion a year in lost productivity. So that's the tension management side. Um, how are people losing money? Well, they're ignoring their job. They're ignoring their bosses. They're hiding in the back room. They're purposefully making errors. Um, when you have a stressful situation with a bad boss or a bad manager that calls you out in front of the rest of the table, why didn't you do this? Blah, 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 you know? Um, and they call you out in front of everybody else, that stress, when you have extreme stress like that in your workplace, it can take you 22 months to recover physically and emotionally from working in a place like that. Um, so if you have a choice and you have choices about every single thing that you do, mm -hmm. you know, you wake up in the morning, you greet the day, you thank the Lord for the day that you're given and the gifts that will be presented to you. Will you accept the gifts? Will you ignore the gifts? How will you treat people? How do you want to be treated? How many times will you say no? Because if you say yes, you're not going to get your work done. What are the boundaries that you have set up for yourself? So all of those things flow into the type of exercises when I'm working with people. You have a choice. You can be a jerk 
or you can be a nice person. If you're not a jerk and you're a nice person, but you let other jerks thrive, that's as good as being a jerk. So you have to, when you first go in to a client, you have to do a, an assessment. Mm-hmm. And, and I would imagine that would take some time, if, especially if you're working with, within a large corporation and multiple people, um, first assessing where everyone is coming from. I'm curious to know, who, who is it that reaches out to you for your work? Because I, I would imagine a lot of the, the bosses, the, you know, the, the higher-ups, might be resistant to this behavioral type of um, work. In other words, you know, if it's a control issue, they don't see the value in trying to figure out how everybody's psyche is. They just want to get the job done. And, you know, how do you get over that hurdle with the people that are kind of skeptical about the behavioral type of coaching that you do? So um, one of the things that that we um, preface our work on is pride-based leadership versus shame-based leadership. So that's another premise that you try to pridefully bring people along. So it could be the boss that reaches out. They uh, Great leaders don't necessarily know that they're great leaders. Great leaders don't wear a title that says, because I have a senior VP, I'm a great leader. Because I have a vice president of, or I'm a COO or a CFO, I am a great leader. Not necessarily. (laughs) Not necessarily. So great leaders can come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it is the, the, the CEO because they are doing well with the performance. They're making their widgets really well, but they've heard the term culture and they want a work culture. Mm-hmm. So they'll bring me in to start that conversation. Right. Sometimes it's the human resource professional or the human resource manager that knows that they're having difficulty. So we'll go in and we'll work with the management team that gradually morphs over to become the leadership team. Great leaders lead, that's the difference. Um, managers manage and great leaders need to manage They also coach. They also train. They recognize what their own strengths and weaknesses are. They're not afraid to admit them. And they welcome the opportunity to create other leaders. Well, that's a great leader being a good listener. Yes, it is. Right? Absolutely. And listening in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. You know, not just the conversation, but also what's happening over here. Um, So reading reports. Um, so listening beyond just the ears, watching body language, watching how does somebody strut around a certain area, um, you know, all those kinds of nuances. Um, and then you have to make sure though. sometimes what happens is the leaders, the, the folks at the top, the check writers, if you will, um, will say, we're going to do this, but then they fail to participate in the follow-up. And they fail to participate in the uh, in the supporting of the program as it continues. You can't just have a two day retreat and say, "Okay, we did everything that we, we needed it. to do. We yeah. f- we fixed it! Yay! We all had a conversation. <laughs> We're going to make a million dollars. We threw Murph balls at each other. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. You know, we made a totem pole, um, and we'll move the skill sets around as we need them. Um, so it goes beyond that." Follow-up. There needs to be follow-up. Yeah. And oftentimes that's where the leadership lacks 
because the leaders aren't committed as well. They're just going through the motions. But we're seeing less and less of that. Mm-hmm. We're seeing less and less of that because people, inherently, you want to believe people want to do the right thing. They just don't always know how. Yeah. Well, I and I also think that there's so much more discussion today about how the culture in a company, a business, whether it's large or small, um, affects your bottom line. And so because those discussions are out there, people are open to, oh, maybe we really do need to give some more thought into how we're all communicating or not communicating well. Exactly right. You have to trust people. Right. You won't work for somebody unless you trust them or you won't work, pledge loyalty and, you know, until your dying day. Um, you think about the the armed services and how they will take the grenade for the team. Mm. You know, how many yeah, that's businesses that's, that's how many businesses together. have that type of mentality that they'll take the grenade for the team? Maybe they don't agree with what's going to happen. So so if you don't agree, what else do you need then to be able to agree? So many companies were downsized, wrong sized, mm-hmm. and the folks left in the wake didn't want to talk up, speak up about, I don't know how to do what now it is you're telling me to do. I want to be here. I really love this job, but I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do. Mm. So I'm curious, do you find it different? I'm sure it is different. Uh, What are the differences when you go into a company and you're dealing with women with these exercises and versus men? Well, you know, it's funny because we actually did the first leadership survey last year. I'm still concluding the results of it. I where, wanted to ask you about, I thought, <laughs> yeah, I want to know about that survey. Where I you, want the results. Where you look specifically at what were the differences between the women and the men responding to, there was a list of 10 activities that we came up with pertaining to leadership. Um, I'm going to rattle off some of them. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Um the, the first of which is um, articulating a compelling vision. So does your leader or are you able to articulate a compelling vision, not just a vision? I can rattle off what's in the, in the magazine. I can rattle off what's on our website. But can you articulate it? And then can you motivate others in such a way that they're inspired and sustain that inspiration? So you can be inspired at a day meeting. You can be inspired at an hour presentation somewhere. How do you help to sustain that? Mm -hmm. How do you help to motivate that? How do you awaken that desire um, for people to jump on board and be the flag bearers behind you, that they would take the grenade for you? Um, Sustaining ethical practices and processes. Um, How are you doing that? Not just having them in place again, but how do you sustain that? Mm-hmm. Um, challenging process. Being willing to take a step back and say, you know, we've got this smooth running machine here, but how are we going to challenge things to ante up a little bit? What's what's working, what's not working? Evaluation. Evaluating things. And not just the, that freaking one-year, one-time-a-year performance evaluation is so antiquated. You cannot chastise someone for an action they took in March and December. Right. You've got to address it in March. It's like, you know, potty training a dog, you know, you or a child. Well, a child, you don't do the same things that you do with child. The behavioral, (laughs) the behavioral ramifications are a little bit different. You know, a child can change its own diaper eventually. A child, you know, and uh, 
well, anyway, we don't have to get into all that. <laughs> we digress. We digress. You know what? This is a good time. We're going to we have to take another break, and we will be back with Katie Connolly. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the mutual fund store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. 
When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, Wealth Management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio today with Katie Connolly. Uh, Katie, again, is the president of Best Principled Solutions, and she is a um, an executive leader's coach. She's a speaker, and she's also an author. And I'm going to ask her about uh, the first book that she uh, has written, and it's called Engaging Your Board, It's Raining Yen. Y E N. <laughs> tell me first. How did you get the name, and, and tell us all about it? So, um, obviously, I've worked in communities for many, many, many years, and serving on boards of directors and working with boards of directors. Um, oftentimes, they're well intentioned; they want to do the work that they're supposed to do, but they don't know how to fundraise. Hmm. And so, as soon as you say you need to fundraise, they become paralyzed. Um, and sometimes, I think also that although they are well intentioned. A lot of board members tend to leave their brains at the door. Um, so they, they walk into the room and they listen to what it is that you're presenting to them. But as soon as you get to the financials, which is the most important part of the program, um, they'll listen to the program impact. They'll listen to all the good work that they're doing. But you can't do the good work without the budget and the financial reports and understanding them and understanding if you are a fundraising board, not all are, but if you are a fundraising board, what does that mean? So they'll do anything but fundraise. So engaging your board, it's raining yen. Um, I envisioned myself at some point in time, and this is my performance going back to it's raining men, that song with dollar bills coming down. But I it, like it's raining dollars just didn't sound right. Or it's raining money. No. So And then a lot of folks ask me, does that have some kind of um, an allusion to um, some of the Asian countries um, coming on board in America and their dollars going towards our philanthropic efforts. Um, so that was that's way too deep for me. I'm not that deep. Um, I was tr- <laughs> truly envisioning the dollar bills coming down or the yen coming down without hurting me. Um, so is this a book about fundraising? It's a book about being a great board member. Oh, so okay. it is. It does include a fundraising component because again, not all boards um, fundraise. Some just uh, advise. Uh, so if you're a, a board that gets a lot of government money, you don't necessarily have to fundraise, right. but you will advise on um, where are the programs receiving the greatest impact? Who are the clients that you're serving? Mm-hmm. What is the mission and how does this tie into the mission? How does this particular program tie into the mission? So the, the book starts with um, uh, everything from what does your board need to look like? What intentions do you have? How are you purposefully bringing people on board? 
oh, I'll be on the board because then I get to say I'm on a board and it gives me great notoriety and I get to add it to my resume, but I don't have to do anything. I'll show up at the board meetings and then that's all I'm going to do. I'll help make decisions. A lot of boards don't have that luxury and you have to get people um, deeper in the trenches um, to make concrete decisions about do we have the money to move forward with this particular program. Um, so throughout the book, it, it goes from everything. And there's a little piece of tension management in each of there's a little assessment, a mini assessment in each chapter talking about um, who then becomes the president of the board. How do you create a ladder of leadership? so that you have people who are skilled and know about the organization. So it's not, well, Tommy's not here. You know, you think about that old song, Hi-Ho the Dario, the, the cat takes the cheese or the cheese takes the mouse or whatever it was, and not, you all fall down, and then there's one person standing. So is that how the board president got elected? Um, by default. <laughs> by default. Yeah. Uh, and, and I work with organizations where that has become evident. Mm. Um, so then how do you get them back on track in terms of being a good board? If people know what their responsibilities are, and if you lay it out for them, people want to do the right thing. You have to train them. You have to give them the resources that they need to do a job. You can't just touch somebody when they come into the room and say, okay, now you're a great board member. You have to give them that skill. Well, and determine what their gifts are. Exactly right. So what? So how do you have a whole process in place? How do you help to vet? your candidates? Uh, do they work on a committee first? What is their interest? Do they have a single agenda? Um, you know, so, so what are all those kinds of nuances that you need to determine before someone comes on board? And then how do you help them to do the work that you have set up? What's your plan? Um, and you have to sit down and, and plan as a board. And how does your plan align itself with the money that you say you're going to spend? You know, when um, you think about the federal government and you think about allocation and appropriation, you can appropriate all the money in the world. When they make that big budget, you can appropriate all the money in the world. But if you don't have it, you can't allocate it. So if you're gonna, if there's going to be a budget shortfall, you need to know that before the end of the year. And then how are you going to make that up? Um, so that financial piece, that is the largest responsibility for board members to be cognizant of. Nonprofits do not belong to the organization. Nonprofits belong to the public. You have a public responsibility to know when you're serving on a board what your responsibilities are. You get rights. Okay, so when I was working with the Arts Council and we had the Jazz Festival and we grew that to the size that it was, um, or working with ArtReach here, I was on the board of ArtReach for many years, and ArtReach provides... Um, cultural experiences for economically disadvantaged and physically challenged individuals in a seven-county-wide region. So it's not just saying, well, I want tickets to the man. You don't get tickets to the man. You can be an usher at the man. You can be a you can be an ambassador for ArtReach and greet a group that's going to be there and work, but that's not the job of the board. And being on the, the, the Arts Council board didn't mean you got tickets to the jazz festival. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and when I came down here for the Rhythm and Blues Foundation, I was brought down to Philadelphia to transition their national headquarters. And we had a major music awards program. Um, and, um, you know, the tickets there were about $1,000 a piece. 
And there, too, you know, there were board members who were like, well, I'll do this for you. Well, how can I say to everybody else, your minimal commitment is $10,000, and then you buy tickets, and I don't have evidence of the $10,000, and now you want a ticket for $500. You, I, I don't know how to regulate that. That's a problem. So up front, the more clear you are up front, the more you can engage your board in whatever the mission is that you have. So the more work you can put in ahead of time, it's like working with, with uh, you know, a human resource manager, working with their staff people as well in a company. The more you know, the more information you give to people to, to do their job well, the better they'll respond and the more loyal they'll be to you and, and the more they'll work for you and with you. Um, it's not mine. It's ours. Right. You know, there's so many variables you know, when you step into, you know, uh, a business or a company and from the from the very first step, how are we going to make this better? There's so many variables you need to, to take into account. Um, we only have a few minutes left. <laughs> so if anyone's listening and wants to get in touch with you to use your services, what's the best way to do that? So the best way would be um, you can call me at 484-769-2327. You could go to my website, www.bestbestprincipled.com. P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E-D solutions.com. Um, uh, or you can go to engagingyourboard.org for the book. Um, uh, you can Google Katie Connolly and there's lots of, there's lots of ways to get in touch with me. That's, that's there. probably the best way. K-A-Y-T-E mm -hmm. Connolly. Um, thank you so much, Katie, for joining you, me today. Sue. Some great tips and, and great discussion. It was an absolute delight. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, again, for tuning in to this week's Women to Watch. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and if you'd like to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. My phone number is 215-313-5561. Have a great week, everyone.